Blue Wire. What's up, everybody? Uh, if you find yourself here, you probably know that this is Kyle Newbeck, the Sixers reporter for the Philly Voice. This is the new slant, a Sixers podcast that I'm starting with my my buddy, my old pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how you doing? What's up, Kyle? Yeah, it's been. Uh, how long has it been since we tried to start the uh, the other podcast we did? Oh, so that was in. Four and a half-ish years. So we had that going briefly in 2015, I would say. You know, second half of that Sixers season going in the summer, that NBA draft that year. You know, the Sixers did really well in the draft that year. They had the third pick, which, according to the Philadelphia Daily News, Bob Cooney meant they didn't have to take either of the two big men that were going to go high in the draft. So they were lucky to get the third pick in D'Angelo Russell. And obviously, they ended up with Gilles before. It was a really tough time to start a Sixers podcast, and I blame I blame very its, unfortunate. I blame its failures on Joe Lillicoffor. See, I would have blamed it on Bob Cooney, but that's just me. No, well, it's everyone's fault besides <laughs> mine. Uh, yeah, so back in those days, Seamus and I were heavy on the blogging front, and as Seamus joked to me recently, like every early twenties white guy, we felt it was like an obligation to to get into the podcast space but when you're making no money or next to no money as a writer that that kind of just falls by the wayside when you realize all the the work and and nonsense that goes into a podcast but luckily for us we uh uh, kevin from blue wire reached out to me last year about having some interest in starting a podcast and we went back and forth for a little while and i talked with seamus obviously him and i have known each other for forever have wanted to do this and all the stars kind of aligned and and so now here we are today and now here we are with Seamus kind of relaunching his media slash blog boy slash whatever you want to call it career that he's got going on yeah I like to think that starting a podcast is the early 20s guys version in 20 in the 2010s what it was in the 1970s where if there were just you and your three other dorky friends were like, we should start a band. That's what starting a podcast is today. And, you know, like most podcasts and most bands, they really amount to nothing. And now here we are X amount of years later, actually putting this into practice. But about me, I've blogged for Liberty Ballers for years with Kyle. Had a great time there. Lots of fun. We talked about the process, deliberated the process, complained about Jaloka for Jaloka for his dad wanted to fight me. It was a whole thing. Now, over the last couple of months, I really just, the itch never goes away for writing for me. All last season, I freelanced for NBC Sports Philadelphia, talking Sixers, Eagles, a little bit of Philly stuff. But again, the itch never really goes away for me, even though I have a day job and I enjoy having some semblance of normalcy with a nine to five gig. I can never fully get away from twitter or the writing world or just talking about sports it's what i love it's what i do yelling like a maniac on the internet about sports yeah i mean i love i'm insane and i love to yell and i love philadelphia sports so just put it all together and maybe someone else out there enjoys hearing my bullshit as much as i do but yeah so i started the newsletter i do i like hearing your bs shameless but and i appreciate also have been in a uh a text group for the last half decade that depending on the day has either made me more or less insane. So no, I think all overall probably a net neutral, but there are really big highs and lows there. 
Especially after a, an Eagles loss like that loss to the Vikings. The Falcons was, uh, the Falcons one in the group chat was was rough. Very somber day. For me, somber for me day. specifically, I think I was taking a little too much out there. But anyway, this is the new slant. Yes. We found a new this slant. This is the new slant. We, we've, uh, I guess it's what, a, a year, year and a half since... Actually, longer than that, and then the tweet was sent out. But Yeah, it was May last year that story broke, I think. Yeah, so we'll we'll say a year and a half since Brian Colangelo or Brian Colangelo's wife or somebody associated with Brian Colangelo told people to stop worrying about his collars and, and find a new slant. So here we are, finding a new slant. So I guess the, the idea behind this for Seamus and I is we're going to talk to you at least weekly to talk about the Sixers, whether there's breaking news, there's a big game, if there's just somebody through Sixers Twitter or Twitter in general that we want to have on as a guest and just have some friendly banter. We want to we want to give you a new slant. And Seamus and I obviously talk all the time anyway, so we feel it'll be pretty easy to, to get going here, record a podcast, and hopefully you guys will, will join us for the ride. I want to give you guys the experience of being in a group chat with a bunch of deranged basketball fans. And I'm going to try to rein Seamus in a little bit because, you know, as a as the day-to-day reporter, I, I do have to be a, a little bit serious and more reined in. But I think at the end of the day, we'll be able to we'll, – we'll give you some insight, some entertainment, and we'll do it without sounding super nerdy like a lot of the other – basketball podcasts that are out there and date nunkin yeah like we're not going to name any names but the guy who said if you uh, might get- greg popovich is an overrated coach might be on the uh the podcast hit list let's put it that way yeah he's banned <laughs> we're not i don't oh, think we're not we're not banning we're not bans. we're not banning people but just, we're not important it just yet it just goes that. without saying that he will never be involved with the podcast in any way shape or form yeah, no thank you. So, all right. Well, now that we gave you our uh, our life stories, we'll just we'll get right into it. So, obviously, the Sixers have played a few games in the preseason so far. I think everybody came in with the number one thing on their mind being, how does this five-man group look together? The new look starting lineup, Joel Embiid and Al Horford in the front court. Is Ben Simmons going to shoot threes, et cetera, et cetera. And then... A kid from the University of Washington came in and I, I think so far has been the story of preseason training camp, however you want to refer to it so far. And it was not the kid they took number one overall a couple of years ago. It was Matisse Thibel, who looks like he might break the steals record at some point. He's been absolutely ridiculous on defense. Seamus, I don't know how much you were able to to watch him in college or if you even do the whole college basketball watching thing anymore but I guess what's your early impression of of him been from the uh from your vantage point well once the Sixers got good I stopped caring about college basketball again which was pretty great gave me a lot more free time <laughs> but the thing I that's fair I I hate watching college yeah, basketball honestly but we're talking about Matisse potentially breaking the steals record I think something that he might break that is even more important is the curse this town has when drafting players from the University of Washington, whether that be one, Sidney Jones, or Mark Fultz, who now plays for the Magic, and the Sixers faced off on the... Your favorite player, Mark Fultz. Mark Fultz, absolutely. But Matisse looks like the real real deal, defensively. I, f- 
is it crazy to think that they have you know three to four guys on the roster who could conceivably have a five by five game not maybe not just this season but over the course of their career between ben joel richardson maybe even horford yeah i don't think that's crazy i i think like you're i mean obviously it's overreaction theater this, oh absolutely this early in the year but they already have three guys maybe four guys in the starting lineup that i think you could consider as all defense caliber players or guys with the potential to make an all defense team this year i think Joel Embiid is pretty much like a as long as he stays healthy is a cinch for that i think ben simmons has made it clear he wants to be the best defensive player on the team and as we saw in the playoffs last year, like he has that ceiling he can hit. It's just a matter of sustaining it. And then Richardson and Horford are both excellent defenders in their own right. Now the question is, how much of an impact, I guess, Matisse can make right away? And what we've seen, like I wasn't even expecting him to be a guaranteed guy in the rotation right away. I was expecting with Zaire Smith having a head start, admittedly with a crazy year last year, I thought he would get first crack at these minutes, but what I was hearing on the ground every day and during training camp, the players were, were raving about Matisse. And I think now that we've seen the games sort of come to fruition and see him jumping into passing lanes and blocking guys' jump shots, it's, I mean, this is real. Like he's going to be in the rotation right away. I was not expecting to be in the rotation this heavily. I think one thing that skewers my perception of Brett Brown's dealing and handling of rookies is that we've had sort of, ass backwards medical redshirt years for rookies over the last half dozen years that we're not sure. really used to seeing a player who was just drafted in June contribute already in October. And that's really never happened during this era of Sixers basketball. And it's going to be weird to actually see him out there getting pretty decent minutes because, I mean, is he their best bench player? I mean, Mike Scott's there, obviously, but outside of him, it just does things, their... he just does things other players on the team can't. And is he's that kind of energy guy. I don't want to this was a comp that came to my head and it's way way over the top but just stylistically and in terms of bringing in energy it kind of reminds me of again he's not nearly as good as this player and never will be. Young Rodman as a bench player on those bad boy Pistons teams. The way he would come in just be a defensive all over the place guy and you know back up a pretty legit starting five. It's a funny comparison on a lot of levels just because like Matisse is probably the exact opposite of Rodman oh my as God, a person. Yeah. Like, could you imagine him walking in to a, a game one day and he came out with like rainbow colored hair and, <laughs> and wearing a wedding dress or something? Like, I, I don't see that from him. What I would say is that I think he's pretty easily their most versatile bench guy. Like, I, I think defensively he's going to be able to defend – several positions which you don't you can't really say that about many bench guys period like he's got he's got the quickness to stay with smaller guys and anytime that you can get your hands on balls the way he does like that's where I would compare him to I know Seamus this is a bit of a polarizing player on your end but like it reminds me of when Cov Robert Covington was here and Joel has made this comparison recently I didn't where his I didn't hands are like just Cove. on balls there were times when uh, the Boston series, time, yeah. the Boston series. Outside of that, I liked him. Yeah, I mean, obviously, watching him brick a million three point shots in a row was was not fun for anybody who had a rooting interest in the Sixers at that time. Um, but I, I think their their ability to just be disruptive is very similar. Now, whether 
Matisse is able to be a lockdown guy right away, I think that is certainly up for debate because I think the problem with young guys is always trying to steer them away from foul trouble. And as as seasoned as he looks right now, when he gets to play in real teams and real opponents and not the Charlotte Hornets who might win like 20 games this year, he might run into some problems. But, I mean, so far he's been way better than advertised. And I think including people like me that criticized or, or questioned the Sixers at the time of the trade that they gave up a pick to get him specifically, it's looking like a pretty smart investment at the time. Do you think he's more of a defender akin to Covington, as you mentioned, where he's great off the ball and as a team defender? Do you expect him to be a guy that can be a lockdown man-on-man defender? Or do you see him more as, again, Covington was pretty elite defensively, even though necessarily on-ball defense might not have been the greatest aspect of him defensively? Yeah, I think his value right away, like this season, is going to be more on the off-ball side and on the disruption side. I think part of that is just that any guy who's coming from college to the NBA needs to bulk up. They got to put on NBA weight, get in the strength and conditioning programs and do all that. And that's a process that you can't really rush that because you don't want guys putting on bad weight. You want them to, like Joel Embiid lost weight this summer. And the whole thing with him is you want him to lose weight and be in good cardiovascular shape you don't want him to lose that weight and lose his strength. So there's a like going both ways. There's that that tightrope he's got to walk. And also at the same time, they have guys like Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons who are going to be tasked with the tougher on-ball assignments. So I, I think that's going to limit him in terms of on-ball defense for now. But I think long-term, I mean, you see where he's already at. I, I wouldn't put a, necessarily put a ceiling on him as a defender. The team should put him on the complete opposite strength and conditioning program they've given to Furkan Korkmaz over the last three years. That's what I'll say. <laughs> hey, man. Furkan. I, I don't hate it that he's back. back this I don't year. hate it. I thought he was going to come back. He's shooting 16.7% from three through three games in the preseason. Now, obviously, small sample and all that. I guess the, the other bench guy that I, I want to talk about while we're here is is Zaire Smith. So like, I think it's, he's in an interesting spot where if you remember Seamus, when the Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell rookie of the year stuff happened, of course, a couple years ago. Now the big argument was, well, Simmons gained all this value and experience just by being in an NBA program without playing at all. The, the first year he was in Philadelphia and Zaire Smith actually got on the court for the Sixers last year, and he's an example that runs counter to that idea. Like he had the whole year to to learn terminology. Like even if he wasn't on the floor, he's around and he's around an NBA program. And he even if you just say, all right, you throw out up until about December because he's just trying to get healthy enough to live a normal life again. That second half of the year, he had all kinds of time to to pick up on stuff. And we've seen like he still kind of looks like an athlete that's playing basketball versus the other way around. So I, I don't, I'm not necessarily concerned yet, but do you have any reservations about, I guess, like how far behind someone like Thibault he seems at the moment? Yeah. I think the assessment that he looks like an athlete playing basketball rather than just a basketball player is so apt because when you think about it, the fact that he was even playing basketball at the end of last season is incredible given the entire 
allergy situation sure. that led on to being hospitalized. And all of the improvements that Ben may have made as during his quote-unquote rookie year when he sat out, a lot of that, even though he was injured, he was still working with an NBA conditioning program, doing some strength right. and conditioning work. Zaire wasn't really able to do that at all. Not only does he have to build himself up to NBA level strength and conditioning, he was just trying to get back to a normal adult level of strength and conditioning giving given all the weight that he lost when he was hospitalized. So he's even further behind the curve in terms of, I don't even think his quote-unquote redshirt year did that much for him, unfortunately. I mean, certainly there's mental aspects of it and learning how to travel with the team, what to do and not do in the locker room, different things like that that most people take for granted. I think having those already under him, that's certainly a positive, but given the rest, the construction of the rest of the roster and how good Matisse has been, I think he's going to be that energy defense first guy they're going to go to right off the bench instead of him immediately. And if he's not out there with a reliable jump shot, there aren't a lot of roster constructions where he might get a lot of run, at least early in the season. Yeah, and I, I guess it's interesting because the Sixers have been in this position for so long where they've needed to play young guys. Like they, they didn't have a choice where like, all right, when, when you're in the, the process era, you, all you have is young guys that you want to develop. And then even as they, as Colangelo came in and, and put his stamp on the team, you don't want to just like push the, the young guys to the side because as the team gets more expensive, your ability to develop talent is like paramount. And we've actually seen in a different sport, we've seen that, with the Eagles, how much of a problem that's been that they haven't been able to develop or, or even discover a young talent that can help them as they start paying extensions and, and what happens. Let's not get started guys. on that. Yeah. We don't need to go down the, uh, the Eagles wormhole today. It doesn't need but, to be a three hour podcast, <laughs> but so like it's Zaire is going to have to play at some point. And right now I'm sort of stuck between two thoughts on him where yeah, it's probably good that he doesn't need to be forced into the rotation and they can kind of bring him along slowly. But at the same time, in an ideal world, you would love if, like Matisse, he just was good enough right now that he could just be thrown into the rotation right away and you play him over a guy like James Ennis, who I think is a solid rotation guy, but ultimately is, like, is what he is at this yeah, point. Yeah, there's no ceiling to James Ennis. And you obviously, as Zaire was, what, was he the 11th pick in the draft, 10th? Yeah, well, that was the trade. So oh, yeah, so the Sixers originally was... had that pick, and he was 16. Yeah, 16. Okay. I'm a little worried. So, like, normally you want to you impact that. Yeah, like, I'm he's... worried that at least for the early, or at least the first half or so of this season, he's just going to be strictly a mop-up duty guy. End of the fourth quarter, throw him in for the last handful of minutes of the game and see if he gives you anything when the game's out of hand. Yeah, so I, th- I think the one saving grace there is that Brett Brown typically uses the first third of the season until about Christmas or so to give guys a chance. And he's been open about the fact that he'll probably play 10, maybe 11 guys on certain nights. Now, I don't know that that's, he's going to play 11 guys every night. I don't even know that he's going to play it most nights, but I think that'll give him a chance to to toy with different, different players. And, and Zaire, I would hope like if he starts getting fewer opportunities than someone like, a Furkan Korkmaz or Shake Milton, that's when I would say, all right, then I would start getting concerned about where we're headed. But we're we're a long way away from, from having a, to go there yet. Yeah, keep Furkan as the victory cigar, so to speak. Zaire needs to be getting run over him, and preferably in 
you know, some meaningful way to start the season, just in case there's an injury down the road and you actually need to have significant minutes from someone, you're certainly going to rather trust Zaire in a game. Just say it's a playoff game. Who would you rather have on the court, Zaire Smith or Furkan Aldemir? Or Furkan Aldemir. Definitely not Furkan Aldemir. Furkan yeah. Korkmaz, maybe. I was going to say, if Furkan Aldemir is playing for this team in a playoff situation, something went horribly wrong between now and... Uh, or something went terribly right in 2015. I guess that was it's amazing that the Sixers have had two fur cons in such a short amount of time it's a blessing really it's well speaking of blessings you know what else was a blessing finally seeing Ben Simmons make a three-point shot in a Sixers uniform and I don't know where were you when when Ben did that recently just watching on my couch sitting on my little lazy boy did you uh did you have any sort of reaction I just threw my hands up on my head just like oh my god like no cursing no no i didn't curse uh, or anything surprisingly it was just but it's a preseason game so i wasn't expecting this moment of such drama and i actually think he looked effortlessly cool in the situation which in my head i thought if he was gonna finally make a three it would be in this most janky fade away off put shot possible where it would just wouldn't feel replicable in the future but that he was kind of cool and collective off the ball at the end of the quarter the way you know you would hope a perimeter player can be at the end of every quarter and be that sort of go-to scoring guy it does a little for his confidence does a little for my confidence in the shot that he's willing to take in them Kyle we both have discussed before if he's not willing to take shots in you know the Sixers red and blue scrimmage red and white blue and white scrimmage whatever it's called how's he going to take them in a game how's he going to take them in a playoff game if he's not comfortable taking them in a practice or a scrimmage or a right or a preseason game so that's the first step it's a baby step but he takes one like that in a preseason game maybe starts taking him in the regular season and maybe by the end of the year he's not terrible at it yeah I guess my confidence has really not changed much on him and part of that's because like it like let's say he came out and he he did took and made that same shot and then actually started shooting in the games that followed then maybe I'm sitting here saying, okay, this is starting to be a pattern. Like it's part of his game. He's seeking these shots out. But I, I think the the situation that we saw him take it in where it was almost as if the crowd had to will him into taking that shot like they did with Markel Fultz when he was still here, where that place got loud and they were they're yelling shoot like it was like the Pico power play at a at a Flyers game. It was it was surreal. It was crazy. And so he finally shoots and Joel Embiid gives him a bear hug and it like the scene was amazing. But like the thing for me at this point is that we're not seeing him like his confidence is not at a point where he's seeking out these shots, right? Like if he's in a corner, you're not going to see Ben Simmons with like his hands up at his chest ready to catch the ball. Certainly not. Even to a teammate like I want this shot. I'm going to take it. And that that is the step that needs to be taken here. Like I, I've never doubted that Ben is capable enough of making the odd three-pointer. Like, when you have as much space as he does, when you've worked on it as much as he does, I I don't doubt that, like, if I had a shooting contest with Ben Simmons, he would kick my ass. Like, I, I have no reservations about saying stuff like don't that. Don't sell yourself short. No, believe me, I'm a converted soccer player, buddy. I, there is no shooting touch. I'm a rebounder. That's that's what I'm there to do. I use my long arms. That's it. I've been six foot tall since I was 11 years old, so I am an average height man with big man skills. So I'm pretty garbage <laughs> at basketball. See, 
Well, that's, you know, everybody needs someone who's willing to do the I'm dirty work. I'm just a dirty mop-up work guy. Exactly. Kylo Quinn. No. <laughs> hey, Kylo Quinn is... He's very good. good. We'll get we'll get to I'm him Kylo Quinn on a, a, good a day. little bit later. There you go. Um, but yeah, so I'd like... I'd, I need to see it manifest in different ways. I agree with you, Seamus, in the sense that it's the first step that he had to take. And like, I'm not going to say, I'm not super confident in him right now, but just at least it happened and how it happened. I'm glad he got it out of the way. Yeah. I just, I don't want to be the guy who consistently moves the goalposts and no matter what he does, yeah, I'm not about that at all. Yeah. So it's good that it happened. The reaction was hilarious. And the fact that Joel Embiid gave him a bear hug with a big smile and then Ben just did not react at all was like the funniest part of the whole thing for me. That just summed them up both so well in one instant in one picture. Yeah, well, you know, sources say they hate each other. I wasn't I'm even not, talking about I'm, like that. Just... I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding, by the way. For Don't clip that, anybody. It's a cool laid back guy and then the guy who is intentionally way, way over the top in the most hilarious manner possible. Yeah. How, so, how about uh, this? Over, under 2.5 made threes from Ben this year. 2.5 made for the entire yeah. year. Uh, I really want to take the under, but I'm going to take the if over. If I was like literally I betting money, I would probably take the under. I probably would too because, look, here's what I'll say, and I mean this as a compliment for Ben Simmons. When he thinks about the game and talks about the game, first, second, and third is about his teammates. Like If you ask him a question about himself – he doesn't want to give you any kind of answer. You ask him about Matisse Thibel, he's happy to rave about him. Like that and you see that manifest in the way he plays. Like he wants to get guys shots. He will slow down the tempo sometimes so that they can feed the ball to Joel and keep him happy, keep their defensive anchor kind of engaged with the game. Like I, I think that's a good thing. I I've always and I was on this corner with LeBron when there were all those arguments about it does he have the killer instinct this and that it's like dude the guy plays basketball in the way that I want guys to to play basketball and like I I, if I was playing a pickup game I want to play with guys like Ben Simmons that play like LeBron James not someone that's going to walk down the court every time and just shoot without anybody else touching the ball so I don't want to turn this into a thing where all we judge Ben on is his jump shot, but obviously, as we've seen in the playoffs, it's very important. And you know what else is important, Seamus? What's that? Kicking it over to our sponsors. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. We avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, It is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash blue wire and complete an online visit. Rectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and to take care of it. Just go to getroman.com slash blue wire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash blue wire 
for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. And now I'll tell you about our second sponsor, ShipStation. If you've ever had experience selling things online, I'm sure you know that getting orders out can be a real pain. It takes a lot of time. It can be expensive depending on what you're selling. And it's really like I've found it's impossible to know who you should ship things through. And that's why I think you need to use ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and you're keeping whoever you're selling your item to, whether you're, you got a, a small business or you're just selling a pair of sneakers to somebody, they're going to be happy. And I, I will tell you personally, I've bought and sold a lot of sneakers online. I'm sure a lot of people hate me for that. Sneakerhead. So yeah, am I. All, all my sneakerheads out there, but... I'm the guy who buys some sneakers and then sells them for for a bit of a markup. Gotta can't knock the hustle. Hype beast Newback. <laughs> so trying to figure out who to send these sneakers through has always been kind of a pain for me. The beauty of ShipStation is they work with all the major carriers, including the US Postal Service, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon. So you can compare and choose the best shipping for you and your customer. Right now, Listeners of the new slant can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. That's B-L-U-E. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering any credit card info. So just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. And now... We're back to talk about the Sixers. So I, I guess, I know obviously it's early, Seamus, but we did get to see one game where the Sixers didn't have Joel Embiid available. We've seen other games where he was available and what that looked like. So what's your impression been so far of the new look starting five, but also when Al Horford is the primary center and they play more of what I would call a, a modern lineup? Well, you have to think that Embiid is going to miss sizable time this year, whether it's an actual injury that pops up or preordained rest. So having a guy as skilled as Horford, who probably in reality is better as a center than he is as a power forward, it changes everything. And so does having Kylo Quinn in there. I think it sounds hyperbolic, but if Kylo Quinn was on the Sixers last year, they make the finals. They might have won the title. They might have won the title, just something as simple as Kylo Quinn being on the team over... Greg Monroe. Again, it sounds insane, but I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. I actually, in my head, coming into the podcast, was thinking like Kyle O'Quinn is probably pretty easily the best backup big they've had since they've been good again. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh well, Nerlens Noel <laughs> for a... one year. No, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like there's been a lot of competition. Yeah, I guess. O'Quinn is legit. He's a legit backup big man and someone they've really desperately needed the last two seasons when they were making those playoff runs. And when Embiid's off the court, the team is just not the same. Statistically, I test, it doesn't matter. It all adds up that they're not as good when one of the best players in the NBA isn't on the court. But there's a difference between not being that good and being a D-League caliber team. And I think Kylo Quinn is... It's weird to say Kylo Quinn is a missing piece, but... Kyle Quinn's kind of a missing piece. No, I, I mean, like, look, his name's Kyle, so I'm like pretty obligated to to vouch for this guy. We gotta 
Kyle's have a bad reputation in general these days, so we all got to stick together. But I mean, even in the short sample that we've seen so far, he's shown a lot of stuff that I don't remember seeing a lot at, at the other stops where I watched him play. Like he's been a, an exceptional passer for a big man and, and very limited action, obviously. But I mean, he's getting hitting guys with bounce passes on cuts. He's averaging like five assists in the game in the preseason. Now, again, granted, competition level not great he's playing against bad teams it's pretty easy to rack up numbers and what have you but I I wasn't really cognizant of the fact that that was such a strong part of his game and to to plunk him into this system that's all about sharing the ball ball movement what have you like it seems like they found a, a really great fit for for what how they want to play with or without Joel Embiid he's dollar store brand Al Horford in a way you know, it's really funny, too, that we have to talk so much this year about Al Horford because I feel like even when, like, prior to being a, a professional media member, since I've been a professional media member, I've made plenty of jokes about, like, again, I've always thought Al Horford is very good, but it's a matter of, like, it did get out of control, the the, the smart smart basketball Twitter guys who think they have to, like, extol Al Horford's virtues to seem like they know what they're talking about. It's like, dude, yeah, everybody gets it. Most of the teams he's been on have been good. He sets good screens. He's unselfish. You don't have to say, you don't have to go over the top with it because you want to sound smarter than like Charles Barkley is on inside the NBA or whatever. So I I think that was my, my contrarianism kicked in there a little bit but I think certainly when you see him up close all the time he's he's a great basketball player as someone who's never made a disparaging word against Al Horford in my entire <laughs> life I couldn't I'm gonna check the receipts on that I one. couldn't be more excited to have such a team first player who does all the little things that don't show up in the box score who fans across the NBA have taken for granted for years especially those fans in Boston who never truly appreciated them the way Sixers fans already do. It's great. I'm about to cut your mic. I guess I don't even have the power to <laughs> you cut. You can't your do mic anything. Right now. No, I, I'm I'm powerless. Okay, so but yeah, I mean, just he, I guess it's not the most important thing of getting him, but he was defended Joel better than anyone in the NBA, and now it's they're having Joel's kryptonite work aside him. It's like the NWO in wrestling in the '90s. It's been great that like Brett Brown, every time Al Horford comes up, is just rubbing salt in the wound of the Celtics. Where he's like, not only did we get Al Horford on our team, but we took him away from Boston, and it's like that's 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 like red meat for for Sixers fans. There are very few teams that are as hated in Philadelphia as the Celtics are, especially because in recent years that rivalry has kind of picked back up again. Which I like even on the the more professional objective however you want to call it side that that's been very fun like i i enjoy the the legacy of that rivalry is is just fantastic as the resident psycho fan they're certainly number two to me behind the cowboys obviously they're going to be number one forever oh yeah i mean the fuller sort of philly you know tears of hatred but they're right up there for me now the way things have changed over the last handful of years and the discourse online between Boston fans and Philly fans. And I went to college with a ton of people from the Massachusetts area. So it's just all these things completed together. And the fact that we robbed them of Al Horford, just imagine telling a Celtics fan two years ago 
that Al Horford would be on the Sixers in two years. They would have thought you were insane for saying that. Nobody would it's have akin to that. Saying, it's almost akin to saying, imagine if Joel Embiid was on the Celtics in two years. No one would think that's even remotely possible. <laughs> now that would be a plot twist. That would be the end of days. You want to talk about NWO, that's like the ultimate crossing sides and like, yeah, screw you guys. That would have been... I like, let's not even speak I that can't. into existence. I'm sorry I brought it up. Because like Joel is also one of the most reliably funny guys on that team, and selfishly, I need him for for some good quotes every once in a while. So, are you familiar with that movie? Uh, what's it? Uncut Gems, the new Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me if I'd seen Celtic Pride, that old movie. No, with, I, I uh... saw that once on cable. It sucked. <laughs> when I was... it's a it's a good bad movie, yeah. is what I would say. But anyway, so are you aware Kevin Garnett plays a pretty rom- prominent role in that movie as himself? Yes. Uh, Joel was actually up for that part at one point in time. I don't know what happened. I know KG's, uh, you know, fairly, he just definitely has a lot of personality to put things mildly. So I could see him translating to the acting world well, but it would have been awesome if, what if Joel Embiid was in a movie that comes out in two months and that movie won an Oscar? Or Joel Embiid <laughs> was nominated for the best supporting actor in a movie for the Oscars. Could you imagine that? It's February. It's, it's the NBA All Star break. Joel Embiid wins the three point shootout, and then two days later, wins an Oscar. Could have happened. <laughs> Can you imagine the sports radio takes if that uh, if that went down? It would be the most insufferable week of. And uh, listen, uh, much love for all my people at WIP. Love being being on the air there, but there are some people at that radio station and many others that would. Uh, I can't believe he's in Hollywood when he should be putting his ass on the low block. Well, that would only happen if he got hurt. Now, imagine he was hurt going into All-Star break and then won an Oscar. Then things would really just blow over in the most crazy way possible. I think to to not think about this and speak it into existence, we should talk about a much safer topic, sure. which is the NBA's international incident definitely in China, if you could call it that yeah i mean I, I feel like that's what could possibly go wrong with two guys talking about china so yeah two his connection to it two white guys in their 20s tackling a socio-political <laughs> a global <laughs> crisis yeah so I, I mean i guess my issue with this whole thing i, I think there's a lot of pitfalls here right sure. like if you look at the people who have come up on this issue and tried to grandstand about how, Oh, the NBA has been political in the past. And, and now they're, they're backing down from communist China, blah, blah, like that sort of like the Ted Cruz's. Yeah. I don't like that sort of part of the discourse. Right. Like that, that's very, and like Clay Travis and people who are obvious grifters that they just, they're trying to sell you an agenda essentially. Like I think the problem is not that people are not speaking up now. It's that the NBA has fostered this relationship over decades with this country and like that they have to deal with things like this and that there are consequences for talking about things that should be like common sense. Like the people in Hong Kong, the protesters, they're obviously going through like a lot of stuff right now and could use support from all over the world. People that have public voices much bigger than mine are very useful in these situations. And I know that's what Daryl Morey did. Obviously it went off the rails for him, but you could like, they're in too deep at this point. They, the league is reliant 
on that money. And they made that decision a long time ago. I think what I was more disappointed with is how it's been handled in different spots domestically. So like with the Sixers, they had a couple protesters at their recent game where they played a Chinese opponent. And a lot of this now, like it's all secondhand, thirdhand hearsay type stuff about what happened. But they tossed a pair of fans out that had free Hong Kong signs. Allegedly, they're being disruptive. Now, it's worth noting the Sixers are not responsible for Wells Fargo Center security. They had their own security team. The Sixers are tenants in that building. And I spoke to people around the Sixers who suggested that if they had had their druthers, they would have suggested they weren't even clued in to what was going on at the time. They would have suggested, hey, maybe we just move those fans out of the stands and let them protest on the concourse. And so that way you avoid the situation where you're interrupting people who are there to see the game, but they're not being forced out of the arena, kicked out of the arena for for sharing views that like are pretty... Uh, they're not they're not offensive they're not radical in any means yeah it's like they're standing up for democracy and freedom and human rights like that's not something that deserves to be kicked out of a a game for you want to be able to to share that message so that that was disappointing i don't know how you feel about uh this whole situation seamus but it's been like the dominant nba topic going right now it starts from the top down for me so my main, the main direction of my criticism is to Adam Silver at the NBA office. He sets the tone for all of this. For sure. And he's betting on his wallet over just general sense, general humanity, general human rights. And I understand why he's making it from his business perspective, from the financial state of the NBA and the league he's entrusted to run. But history is not going to be kind of that. In five, ten years, we're not going to be saying, well, good thing. Adam Silver kept patting the wallets of him and the 30 yeah, owners. Yeah, bend over for the, China. Yeah. We're going to be saying, that's kind of a really cringeworthy moment. I wish we could go back and erase that. Yeah, it's like, what do you ultimately stand for if you're not willing to stand up in moments like these? Like, I'm actually, I'm curious what's going to happen now that, like, I understood why the league took safe stances while they still had teams and players in China. Like, when guys are over there, they just simply don't have the control to do what they want and say what they want. Like as much as we would like to think, oh, they're they're too famous for anything to happen to them. You never really know. So I, I get taken the safe stance then, and they're obviously trying to repair the business relationships. But I I would like to see, and I would be hopeful that somebody is going to take a stand here. I don't know if that's going to be a player, a coach, a GM, whatever. I doubt it's going to be as high as a GM since. Darryl we already Murray went down that out, path. Like a, yeah, I mean, that was like a several hundred million dollar tweet that he sent, probably. Yes. And obviously, that's I'm just estimating here. But I doubt anyone at that level is going to have that kind of uh, feel safe enough to do that. But yeah, I, I just it's really disappointing that, you know, you would want to see people to step up. And so far, everyone's been happy to just to shut their mouths and, and plead ignorance and say, yeah, the, I don't really know about this issue. And listen, man, when it's one guy or a couple guys that say that, I get it. When it's everybody, you're really making me, uh, you have to be willingly ignorant to believe that. The hypothetical I keep coming back to is in 2016, the Summer Olympics were in Beijing, correct? Yeah. So could you imagine if the Summer Olympics were there next year? 
and you're getting into potential boycotts of NBA players going in that situation. I don't I think honestly get, think at this point. That. I mean, it's not going to happen, but it's not going to happen because it's not in China. It's not that to that degree. It's in Tokyo in 2020. Yeah, I mean, my thing is I don't think the NBA should send players to the Olympics anymore. Anyway, it's they when they send real teams, they win. Yeah, it, it's only when like the like you, this past summer you had the U.S. Celtics. They don't take it seriously. Yeah, it's like who cares? It doesn't. Neither situation proves anything. It's like all right, we're the the U.S. sends our like C D team whatever and loses. Great if they send their A team, they win every time. Great like that doesn't prove anything. Like let. It should be younger guys, developing guys, give them like that's an experience of a lifetime. And that should be that. But that's for players who never be different. stars like the Jalen Browns and Jason Tatum's of the league who will never really face stardom like that ever again. <laughs> well, on that note, I it might be a good time to just wrap it up for the first episode. Obviously, we'll have uh, a lot of different stuff to talk about before the season. Once the season gets rolling, I think. Seamus and I will probably talk once before the season starts again and then definitely after they play the uh, the rival Celtics on opening night. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, there'll be a lot of takes. I'm assuming that's going to be a, a definite loss because the Sixers can never start the season with a win over the Celtics. There's a, a rule against it, I think. This is the, the first uh, time I'm not sweating as much as I used to. I used to be terrified going into those Celtics games. And maybe I'm just getting my hopes up like a typical overly optimistic Philadelphian. I'm feeling good about next Wednesday. Well, we will see how you feel about that at, uh, after at 11 next p.m. Wednesday. on next Wednesday when I'm screaming and crying. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for joining us on the maiden voyage of the new slant. So, if you want to subscribe, like, rate, all that good stuff helps out the podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, or just keep it to yourself if you're really selfish. But we hope that you'll come back and. As Seamus said, feel like you're, you're sitting here just having a conversation with your friends.